0: Chapter 11 of Secret History Revealed by Lady Peggy O'Malley. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. Secret History Revealed by Lady Peggy O'Malley by Charles Norris Williamson and Alice Muriel Williamson. Chapter 11 Tony dear, I said softly when he had finished, I like you better than any man I know except one, and that one thinks of me as his good little sister, so you needn't be afraid of his interference. But there's something that does interfere. What is it? He eagerly wanted to know. It is that you don't really love me. He stared at me through the deepening dusk. Don't love you, good Lord, Lady Peggy. I'm a fool about you. Any doughhead can see that. Ah, but I'm not a doughhead. I know you don't love me. You proved that last night for the life of me. I can't think what you mean i-i told you- I try to be your friend but you knew what that meant don't keep me in suspense you've hurt my feelings dreadfully I've been brooding over it all day I hurt your feelings why you ought to know I wouldn't for the world but you did you refused to trust me there can be no love without trust I trust you with my life I can't to save myself Guess what you are driving at? He stopped suddenly. My meaning had dawned on him in that instant. Now you've guessed, haven't you? I asked, when for a few seconds, which I counted with heartbeats, he had sat tensely silent. Maybe I have. But see here, Peggy, you aren't holding that against me, are you? It wouldn't be fair. I trust you with anything of my own, but when it comes to other people's business, official business, did you ever hear the lines, Trust me, not at all, or all in all? I continued to torture him. It was Tennyson who made Vivian say those words to Merlin. She was deceiving him, and meant to ruin him, when she wormed out his secret, For that reason, it isn't a very appropriate quotation, but otherwise it's particularly so. If you trusted me for yourself, you'd trust me for others too. It's the same thing, or else it's nothing. I'm not like Vivian. I don't mean to deceive you or ruin you or anything horrid, and I couldn't if I would. You don't need to tell me that said tony very miserable and making me miserable as well i know you're a true blue the truest and bluest but there are some things i've got no right to do even for you peggy i'd cut my tongue out to please you i do believe i would but to use it in a dishonourable way for your sake is diff there i told you you didn't love me i reproached him you accuse me now of wanting you to do something dishonorable i don't want you to i can't see that it would be dishonorable to put me out of suspense about a dear friend like captain march a man who's in love with my sister and wants to marry her as you surely know but that settles everything between us of course to be perfectly honest with you tony I must say that I'm not certain, even if you did what I have asked, that I'd be able to do what you ask, love you, except as a friend. I've said before that I couldn't, but I might have changed my mind in future, for all I know, if, if, echoed Tony, that's a darned cruel way to put it, and he looked so much like the nicest billiken ever seen on earth that i really did love him though not quite in the way he wanted no doubt i am cruel as well as dishonorable i replied frigidly so now you can easily stop loving me can't you no i can't he said see here peggy what can i say or do to make things right I think you're the kindest and dearest and most honorable girl who ever lived and I prove it then I cried and I laid my hands on his how what can I do tell me the whole truth about what happened last night Oh, well, I'm not trying to bribe you I don't promise if you do tell that I love you or marry you or anything important of that sort. All I promise is to be so grateful, so glad, that who knows how I may feel to you afterward. And anyhow, I'll let you kiss me this very night on my cheek. Well, yet you say you're not bribing me. You couldn't offer me a much bigger bribe. Why, Peggy, I'd be happy just to die after getting a kiss from you even on your cheek and he laughed at himself forlornly you're a dear boy tony i said crushed with remorse the kiss won't be a bribe either it will be a token of of i hardly know what but partly of gratitude the deepest gratitude if you can trust me enough to believe i'll be true I do believe that indeed i do believe it forever and and by jove i will tell you he broke out with a kind of breathless gasp you're too strong for me peggy you've got me but after all there's no such great harm in telling now it's different from last night then i didn't know nobody knew i suppose what the upshot of certain things might be. As it's turned out, some of the story will have to be known. Not all, but the part you want to know most. Tell me that, I pleaded. You swear you'll never breathe anything I say to you? I swear I never will until you give me leave. Well, then, those. Three explosions you heard last night weren't explosions at all; they were shots from our field guns. But I'll tell you what happened exactly, both sides of the story, both sides. How is it there are two well, there's march's side and 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 what other one, and Major Vandyke's side? I knew it. I cried out sharply i knew that man would try to ruin eagle i should like to shoot him with one of those very guns peggy you mustn't talk like that tony warned me if you do i can't go on forgive me i said and let him hold my hand happy for a moment in the belief that he was soothing me you know you've heard i guess that van dyke was in command last night because the colonel had a touch of the sun but that isn't the right way to begin my story i'm hanged if i know how to begin it we were up there on the hill with the guns on guard i mean i was and the men and march came along and strolled off again a little way with his field glasses maybe thirty or forty yards distant he was i wasn't noticing anything felt rather sleepy and was trying all i knew to keep awake i was in charge of the guns you see i guess i was thinking about you i generally am anyhow the first thing i knew march hurried back he seemed queer and excited and stood still a minute as if he was struck all of a heap then to my amazement he rapped out an order to load and fire number one and number two guns aiming at a spot just below the bridge but before we'd had time to do more than gasp i and the gunners he changed his order and commanded us to fire blank lord that was a relief though even blank would be bad enough for the lot of us if it turned out that march had gone suddenly mad you fire blank for a salute you know But Mexico wasn't likely to take it as a compliment. Luckily, we'd some rounds of blank served out to us in case we might need to send a scare and not a peppering across the river. There was nothing for it but to obey orders, though I couldn't help thinking about the charge of the light brigade when everyone knew that someone had blundered. March shouted out, Go slow. And you bet we did go slow it seemed as if he must be off his head or somebody else was for so far as we could tell and it was a fairly clear night there wasn't a sign of trouble on the other side of the river we'd only fired the three shots when major van dyke pounced on us ordered us to stop and wanted to know what the devil and all his angels March was up to Carrying out your orders, said March. That's a duh, but what's the use of repeating to you, Peggy? What they said to each other. The principal thing is, Van Dyke denied having given any order to fire, and cursed March for all he was worth. Said he might be the cause of bringing us and Mexico to grips over the incident. Then he dashed off in his automobile, which was waiting for him under the hill, He'd been in it, you know, or he couldn't have got to the spot so soon. You must have read that in the papers. And so much of their story was true. Whatever you may think of that, Dyke Peggy, that was man-sized work. He took his life in his hands. The way the Mexicans must have been buzzing in their wasp's nest over there after the hot water we'd thrown on it—it it was the sort of thing he'd love to do. I said implacably. The theatrical thing he must have known too that the man driving the car was the one in greater danger but he didn't drive never does drive he didn't just funk it at that one time it's his habit I've always heard him say he hated to drive a cart. too lazy anyhow there were the very dickens to pay before leaving the hill for his dash across the river He'd told March to consider himself under arrest. How dared he? I fiercely wanted to know. That wasn't his business. Oh yes, it was. He's March's superior officer. Besides any officer has the right, if but I won't worry your head with military rules and regulations. What you want to know is how this affects Captain March, don't you? Yes. That's the great thing to me, I admitted tony will it ruin him it's early days to say as much as that yet it all depends on the result of the court-martial will he be court-martialed of course there's nothing else for it it's a question which of those two men can establish his case and a court-martial will have to decide between them But i'm afraid peggy it'll go against march the circumstances were so very queer and van Dyke's denial of giving any order at all is so strong besides it would be such a mad improbable thing for him to give such an order as there was no danger of attack he'd have no motive he would have a motive i broke in i can prove that will they let a woman bear witness for a prisoner in a military court-martial i suppose your evidence could be taken if they were certain it had an important bearing on the case but i don't see how that could have peggy this isn't women's business it's men's and devils i finished for him we won't argue now whether my evidence could be important or not tell me both sides of the story you were speaking of first captain marches then major van dykes Well, March says that while he was strolling about at a short distance from the guns, looking through his field glasses at a fire he could see on the other side of the river, he saw a chap in khaki hurry up the hill wheeling a bicycle. As soon as the fellow came near enough to make out his features, March says he recognized Van Dyke's orderly, a man who's been the Major's soldier servant for a good length of time this orderly according to march brought a verbal order from van dyke as acting colonel to begin firing number one and number two guns and keep them in action until further notice aiming at a spot just beyond one of the bridges on the mexican side march said he was so astounded at getting such an order he thought there must be some awful mistake and before obeying he wanted to have it on paper So he took the risk of any danger from delay in case the order was really all right and scribbled a few lines to Van Dyke on a leaf torn out of his notebook. A leaf torn out of his notebook? I couldn't help echoing. Perhaps it was the one I gave him. Shouldn't wonder. Tony went on stolidly. He says he repeated in writing the command he just received and begged Van Dyke If it was correct to confirm him in the same way, the messenger dashed off, leaving March wondering like thunder what it all meant whether there was some fearful mistake or whether there was a big crisis and no time for written orders. He could see, of course, that it might be possible, and that Van Dyke had ordered only those two guns to be fired just to scare the Mexicans off from playing any trick they were at the spot he was to aim at suggested that explanation for not much harm ought to be done with a few shots directed that way not much of what you might call material harm I mean but there was no end to the harm such an incident could do if there'd be nothing to provoke it you see the situation as March says he saw it don't you Yes, I see, but what happened after that? According to March, the orderly was back again in next to no time. March had stopped where he was waiting for him, as he didn't want to give the snap away to me and the men till the last minute. And he was hoping against hope till he got the return message. It was verbal again in spite of his written request, and mighty peremptory ordering him to obey without any more nonsense. That's March's story. Not seeing a way to get out of it, yet realizing the awful consequences, should there be anything wrong, March was going to pass on the order to load and fire when he suddenly thought he'd compromise by firing blank only. You see, he was in an awful fix anyway. Had to make an instant decision and did what he thought best at the moment. So in giving that order to Fire Blank he was already disobeying the orders of his superior officer. Van Dyke's version is that he never sent any orders whatever, that his orderly was with him in his car, and had never left it for a minute, that March must have been deceived by some trick of resemblance, a sort of captain of if you know that story, getting off a hoax on him, a deadly hoax. Meant to upset the whole situation between the United States and Mexico, he says March ought to have known better than to obey a verbal order when the thing was so serious. And that he was something worse than an ass to mistake a stranger for Johnson, the orderly whose face March knew almost as well as his own. That's where Van Dyke scores an extra point against March. It would be very unusual to send... A verbal order. That's why Eagle doubted it, I argued breathlessly. Could he have refused to obey the acting colonel when the order was repeated? That's the question. It's too big for me, Tony said with a sigh. It's for the court martial to settle. There are no witnesses who can be of much use on either side, so far as I can see. Johnson was wounded in the lungs last night, you know, crossing the bridge in Van Dyke's car and never so much as squeaked again. He's dead now, so Van Dyke has to depend on his own word alone. But everybody who knows about the business seems to think that probabilities are with him. His story is that he knew nothing of what was going on till he heard the guns at work. Luckily he was nearby in his car as you've heard a dozen times and dashed up to the rescue what about the message eagle wrote in his notebook there's only his own word to prove it was ever written naturally there's no trace of it but you i persisted you and your men who were in charge of the guns can't any of you bear witness for captain march that you saw major van dyke's orderly unfortunately for march no not a man jack of us said tony if he'd been close to us at the time we must have seen and recognized anybody who came and spoke to him but i told you he strolled off it wasn't our business to watch him and nobody was watching a man on foot wheeling a bicycle doesn't make much noise and khaki uniform is just about the colour of the ground on that yellow hill there was no moon only stars which means no black shadow i shall be called on as a witness for the defense of course worse luck but i'm afraid i can't say anything to help march i wish to the lord i could i'm dashed if it isn't the other way round if i'm not mighty careful i may do him harm instead of good you'd like to do him good wouldn't you i pleaded you bet your life i would peggy march is just about the finest chap i ever met and most people think the same of him but what can i do i can't see i said but i may when things grow clearer they must grow clearer you for one believe eagles word don't you tony you believe it was major van dyke's orderly who came to him as i asked this question i stared through the twilight into tony's face trying to read it even as he tried not to let it be read he looked wretchedly uneasy and rather obstinate i can't say i'm sure of that he replied i'm sure someone came to him and i'm sure march thought it was van dyke's orderly that's as far as i can go even when i've told you that i know there's a motive for major van dyke's wanting to injure him ruin him in his career if he can you seem to think van dyke's a regular sort of villain out of melodrama, said Tony with an uncomfortable laugh. I guess you don't know men very well yet, Peggy, except in novels and plays when it comes down to bedrock. They're not much like that in real life, as far as I've ever seen. They never go round plotting to ruin other chaps' careers, even when they don't happen to get along very well with them. You're not so very old. You haven't had much more experience of life than I have," I taunted him. Tony left, haven't I? That's all you know. You're a child, a little baby child compared to me. I may be young, but anyhow I'm a man and I've lived among men since I left West Point two years ago. Even if you don't count cadets as men, Van Dyke's no angel and he and March have been doing a bit of the dog-and-cat act in a quiet way lately. But it's pretty far-fetched to accuse Van Dyke of hatching up a plot to wipe March off the map, especially when it meant risking his own life and sacrificing his orderly, who was devoted to him, a fellow he valued a whole lot. Ah, I broke in. So the orderly was devoted to him... I wonder if the court-martial will remember that fact, for what it's worth. For what it's worth, yes. I guess it can be trusted to do just that. But what there is will be likely to tell in Van Dyke's favor, I guess not against him. Johnson had good reasons for being devoted to the Major. The chap got consumption and was in a bad way would have had to say good to an army life if van dyke hadn't paid for his cure in one of the best sanitaria in america and used influence to keep his job open for him too nothing very blank in that record eh major van Dyke's the kind of person to pay high for anything he really wants himself i said he must have badly wanted this johnson man for something or other Johnson was born a sort of gentleman, but hadn't the art of getting along in life, although he was pretty near being a genius at mathematics as well as mechanics, and could do stunts in several languages like you. No shame to Vandyke to make use of the man's gifts; he must have been jolly useful, too useful to waste. It won't make me love you better, Tony. I remarked with deliberate injustice for there are moods when any girl must feel a horrid satisfaction in being unjust. If you go on praising Major Van Dyke to the skies, does it matter why the orderly was devoted to him, or he to the orderly? The thing of importance is the tie between them. The more devoted the man was, the more willing he would be to go to any lengths for Major Van Dyke oh if you want to put it that way tony hedged but it's a girl's notion like the motive you attribute to van dyke how do you know what motive i mean i shouted him i haven't told you i may be an ass but i'm not a silly ass quoted tony i've guessed what have you guessed oh about van dyke and march both being in love with lady diana all the owliest owls are onto that. First time Van Dyke was ever caught for keeps, the fellows say. But it would only do harm to March, to bring anything of that sort up in this business, to say nothing of the bad taste, and how mad he'd be, and the unpleasantness for Lady Diana, and, and all your family. It wouldn't be agreeable, I know i admitted but anything to save eagle no matter how we sacrifice ourselves i don't somehow hear lady Di echoing that though i agree with you only there's more in the thing than you seem to see because you keep your eyes fixed on one spot if lady Diane is engaged to major van dyke then he'd have no incentive to strike at another man who was gone on her. It would be the other way round. The chap who had lost her would be the one, if any, to be up to melodramatic stunts. It might be said about March that he risked trouble for himself for the pleasure of having a smack at Van Dyke, putting the blame on him— FOR A MAD ORDER TO FIRE OFF GUNS AT THE GOOD LITTLE MEXICANS, FOR INSTANCE. DO YOU SEE? I DID SEE, AND SEEING SUFFERED A SHARP STAB OF DISAPPOINTMENT. TONY HAD TAKEN MY ONE WEAPON OUT OF MY HANDS. HE WAS RIGHT. I HAD BEEN WRONG, WHILE THINKING MYSELF CLEVERER THAN HE. THERE MUST BE SOME OTHER WAY OF CLEARING EAGLE, I SAID DESPERATELY. I hope so, with my whole heart, although I've always had a sneaking admiration for Van Dyke too. He's such a dashed, fine-looking chap, a credit to the army, and all that. To clear March, really clear him without leaving a stain, of carelessness even, means to ruin Van Dyke. For March can't be made white as snow without Van Dyke being proved a liar and by jove yes a traitor to his country that's what he must be proved i said it'll be a tough proposition as i see it there's no proof it must be found that's easy to say but if there's any it ought to be found by the court when will the trial come on i asked in a few days i don't know yet just when, in the meantime, Eagle is under arrest. Yes, it's sickening. Aren't his friends, I mean, among the officers, indignant? They're mighty sorry, all broken up, and don't know what to think. But of course, Major Van Dyke's got a good many friends, too. As for the Fort Bliss officers, they're so wild about the whole business that I'm afraid they're a bit prejudiced against March. Those of them. Don't know him personally. You see, there was an awful row on the hill after the firing, but I didn't mean to tell you about that. Why not? As I know the rest. I suppose some of them arrived. I should say they did arrive. That's too slow a word. The noise shot em out of their blessed beds, those of em who had gone to bed, and brought the others out of any old place they happened to be in. Club hotel friends' houses. The first thing we knew, we had the general commanding on us. They know some language, those grand old Johnnies. Poor March, he was up against it. I can tell you, his worst enemy would have been sorry for him. Friends, what did they do, I gasped. It wasn't so much what they did as what they said. But I shan't give you details, Peggy so don't try and worm them out of me. It'll only waste our valuable time. March was under arrest, that's enough." I suppose he ought to be grateful that it's been judged expedient—that's the phrase—never to let the story in its full enormity leak out. Van Dyke was so smart at apologies and explanations in that Mexican dash of his last night, and the part he played appealed such a lot to the chaps over there. For nothing— if they're not sensational, that it's hoped the incident won't have any serious international results at all. The great thing is to keep the business forever from the public on both sides of the Rio Grande. Luckily, most people had the willies so badly after the first shot that they couldn't swear what sort of noise they had heard. It's a hard job, too, for an amateur to tell what direction a sound comes from when his eyes haven't helped his ears, if Van Dyke hadn't put a stop to any danger of return shots, the fat would have been in the fire for us. Thanks to him, that story of an explosion among the ammunition could pass muster. As for March's alleged wound, that tales to get him out of his social engagements without stirring up talk. But it won't be believed in for long. The court-martial findings can be kept secret but not the fact of its taking place it's to be put round that march was accused of gross carelessness and causing the accident that occurred so now you see peggy your keeping dark about what i've told you tonight is all for march's good if he's found guilty what then i breathed what will be the sentence why as the affair has to be hushed up forever he can't be chucked he'll probably be given permission to resign and then he will resign and nobody outside will ever know why those inside will think he's jolly well in luck to be let down so easy considering all what i didn't speak i whispered why peggy you're crying i couldn't answer i only bent down my head lest he should see my face i felt from the first i oughtn't to have told you growled tony now i'm sure "'Don't take it so hard, dear. Something may turn up we can't think of, and March get off scot-free. Who knows? Anyhow, he's nothing but your friend, and your sister isn't likely to marry him now. I shouldn't be surprised if she's engaged to Van Dyke already.' "'It wasn't settled between them,' I said, swallowing my tears. Only I thought she liked Eagle better, and that if he'd plenty of money—but it's all over. No hope since the thing has happened.' Would you like to have her marry March? Tony wanted to know. I'm not sure, but it'll be too dreadful if she marries Major Van Dyke, after what he has done. Why do you say you shouldn't wonder if they're engaged already? And a little while ago, too, you said if Lady Di is engaged to Van Dyke. Di can't have heard yet that there's any reason why. Why the most disloyal coward should drop Eagle March. There are such things as telegrams, and the big California papers must have got hold of the story printed in El Paso this morning. They're sure to have correspondence here. I bet Lady Di had Van Dyke as a hero served up to her with her coffee at breakfast today. Wouldn't she wire and congratulate him? Wouldn't he wire back to her and strike while the iron was hot to get her promise? That's what I'd do if I were in his place. I never thought, I began, but no more words would come. I felt broken. It seemed to me that I could look ahead and see the whole future. I let my hand lie in Tony's, and he stroked it gently, not speaking or trying to make me speak. Silence was the only bomb just then. If bomb there was, and a loud burst of music not far off struck on my brain like the blow of a hammer. We had forgotten all about the torchlight procession, which we had come out to see. But by and by Tony did not forget his kiss. End of chapter 11, recording by John Brandon